Welcome. I am really excited about this video, so I'm just gonna I'm just gonna jump right into it. I had a conversation this week with a friend of mine who said, I watched your previous two videos and you you referenced the idea of keeping the conversation alive quite a bit. What does that mean? And I, I was excited to get that question. I because it is such a huge part of my project, this idea of keeping the conversation alive. So when I say that phrase, at its most basic level, what I'm talking about is how sacred it is that we get to learn from each other. Like there's something sacred with the idea that we get to learn from each other's each other's theological frameworks, uh, from each other's like ways of, of viewing the world, from our thoughts and our feelings and behavior. There's something sacred that human to human interaction brings about learning. And so when we study the evolution of the human mind and we study the story of how our theological frameworks came to be, one thing becomes clear. And that is that humans advance faster when we see each other as teachers. That's big. Like That's not just some like weighty statement. That's like, that is human history. We advance faster when we see each other as teachers. And, and when you look at the writers of, of, the, of the ancient traditions, when you look at the writers of our, our wisdom literature, you realize that there was this global conversation happening and we wouldn't have advanced to where we are today if they had not been having these global conversations. So a couple of examples uh, would be that like you see the writer of, of the Sefer Mishle quoting Egyptian instruction literature. Or in the Abrahamic traditions, you see Zoroastrianism playing a big role. For example, like there's entire angelic beings that come about within uh, the Abrahamic traditions that did not show up in their literature until they interacted with Zoroastrianism. They saw this global conversation uh, happening and they used it to advance the wisdom of their society, the thoughts and the feelings of the behaviors going on in the conversations that were happening within their tribes. The great tragedy of that though, is that as we got farther into using these wisdom traditions, we began to splinter off and see the conversation as a competition. And so today you'll see it where like, this group has this book, and this way of thinking. And they're not gonna go outside of this way of thinking. They're not gonna go outside of this book to search truth. They're not gonna go outside of this book or this idea or this doctrine or this dogma to find the concepts of the divine. And that kills the conversation. And the great tragedy of that is, is that that very conversation that they're scared of and they're hiding from led to that book that doctrine, that, that, that dogma, that belief. And so today I want to bring two pieces together to have a conversation. I want to bring the Hindu concept of namaste and the Christian story of the Sermon on Mars Hill. And so at its very basic level, namaste means I bow to you. Like if we're just going to translate it linguistically, it means I bow to you. 
But when you dive deeper into the history of that and how that word and that greeting have been used, you start to realize that there's, there's phrases tied to it. Like my soul recognizes your soul. Or one that's like really popular to throw around is I see the light in you that is also in me. And when you have like, when you have this guy that they call the apostle Paul, this young Jewish man living in the first century, you have this, this moment in the Mars Hill story, or or you have this, this, this moment in, in the Christian Bible where he is walking through a Greek town. Like he's, he's walking through the city of Athens and he sees, he sees these 12 altars. And one of the altars says, an altar to an unknown God. Now, traditionally, this story has been used within, within various tribes to, to, uh, to, to give an idea of evangelism. What did, what did Paul have to teach other people? But I think there's something much more open-handed happening in this story. Because he sees this altar and, and this young Jewish man starts to find some truth in the altar of Greek paganism. And he makes this statement. He says, humans of Athens, I see that you're religious indeed. As I was walking through, uh, as I was walking through your city, I saw an altar to an unknown God. Let me proclaim to you what you call unknown as known. It's a very Namaste moment here. He's, he's seeing a truth and he's seeing truth in a new way by interacting with Greek paganism. He's not condemning those around him. He's not calling them wrong. He's not saying that they see unclearly. He has seen something outside of his theological and cognitive framework and it is affecting him. And he wants to learn and teach from that. It's a very namaste moment. He, the light that is within him, he is seeing within something that is within Greek paganism. And so, like, I'm left with, um, I'm left with a thought from this story, and I'm not quite sure how to word it except for within questions. And so, I want to end today. I want to end today with three questions, and I want to leave them open ended. And my DMs, my phone, I, like my FaceTime, I'm, I'm available. I would love to hear your answers to these questions. But, but the question I'm left with at the end of, of this concept of namaste and, and this, this Christian story is how do we begin to see humans as an altar to something unknown? If humans are an altar to an unknown God, what are the implications of that? If we see humans as the altar to something unknown, how does that change our day-to-day and global interactions? I would love to hear your answers to that questions. I would love to hear the questions that come from those questions. Uh, Anyways, I will see you next week. Thank you so much for joining me today for this conversation.